Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. B-I-B-L-E. All right, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Really excited about this series, Inside the Outside. Uh, We're going to be talking about experiencing the Bible for yourself. As Chris said, we're not talking about what we do in this moment. We're talking about you experiencing the Bible for yourself. And I want you to know right up front, um, if this is your first time with us, uh, you stumbled across our link online. We're so glad that you're here. If you got bribed here this morning and promised lunch after, or you're being punished for something you did or didn't do, and they're like, you're coming to church with me. I don't know how you got here. Um, But what I want you to know, um, if this is your first time, or maybe your first time in a long time, this series for the next three weeks, this is going to be a bit of a departure from the way we would typically do or approach a series on a Sunday morning. Like typically what we would do uh, is we would take a piece or a portion of scripture and we kind of walk through that a little bit and talk about what God might have to say to us today uh, in some area of our life uh, through this this piece of portion of scripture. Um, But through this series, what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna be talking about the Bible. Funny thing, hey, talking about the Bible in church. Um, But that's actually what we're gonna do. And we're gonna talk about not just what happens in these moments, but we're gonna talk about you having a Bible and experiencing it for yourself outside of the context of a typical Sunday morning. And so this series is a bit of a departure. It's going to be a little bit different. And that's kind of fitting because the Bible in and of itself is different. It's different than any other book that you're going to be able to get your your hands on. It's incredibly different. Um, Just for starters, I don't know if you knew this, but the Bible is the global bestseller. Year after year, without question, there are more Bibles sold than any other book in the world. And interestingly, ironically, the Bible is also the most stolen book in the world. Can you believe that? Year after year, no book is stolen more than the Bible. So people all over the world, by any means necessary, want to get their hands on a Bible and they're willing to do just about anything to get it. There are some people that buy it and pay for it doing the Christian thing. And there are other people that are like, I need a Bible, so I'm going to steal one. Okay. Fun fact, what you're going to learn about stealing. Um, But that's just the way that people approach the Bible, completely polarizing ways of getting their hands on a Bible. And in a similar way, funny enough, um, there are different polar perspectives of people's experience with the Bible, that, that people all over the world, including those of you in this room, those of you at home, if there are more than one of you at home, every one of you has a different experience with the Bible. And so as we jump in today, I want to just kind of have you kind of think about this question in your mind, because I think it'll give us all a foundation for where we're going to start. But how would you describe your relationship with the Bible? The Bible, when I say that word, what do you feel emotionally? What are the questions that come to mind? What are the things that you begin thinking about? What is your experience in the past? How would you describe your relationship with the Bible? Now, there are those who would say, and and I'm excited if this is you, there are those who would say, I love the Bible. Um, I read the Bible regularly. Um, God speaks to me through it. You know, it has, it is helping me grow in my faith. I'm excited about that if that's you. But I know that there are others who would say they have a completely different experience with the Bible from that. There are those of you who would say, this might be exactly what you would say. You'd say, my relationship with the Bible, how would I describe it? 
what relationship with the Bible? I don't have a relationship with the Bible. You might say it's boring. This might be the thing that you would say, right? It's boring. It is the most boring book I've ever tried to read. Like I tried to read it. I thought I should read it. I wanted to read it, but it is so boring. Like I would rather read a Harlequin romance book than read the Bible. And, and I, would, I would rather read the manual to my dishwasher than read the Bible. It is so boring. And I get that. There are some of you who would say, Scott, relationship with the Bible, I don't have one. My relationship with the Bible is non-existent. It's non-existent. I don't have a relationship with the Bible. I've never read the Bible. I have no intention of reading the Bible. And if that's you, I am so glad that you're here. There are others who would say that their relationship with the Bible is guilt-driven. Like, Scott, I know, I know, I know. Like even now hearing you start to talk about this, I know I should read the Bible. I keep telling myself I should read the Bible, but it just sits on my nightstand. And that's hilarious to me that the Bible sits on your nightstand. You don't even read it and it's making you feel guilty, okay? There are people that have that kind of a relationship with the Bible. Some people would say it's on again, off again. Like sometimes I read it, sometimes I don't. Some of you would say it's emergency only, right? It's like that big red, you know, break glass and read the Bible. Something is or isn't happening in my life. Something is happening in the life of someone I care about. So I go to the Bible. Other people would say, I lack trust, like, I don't know, can I even trust the Bible? There are some who would say it's complicated. Like, because of something that did or didn't happen in my life, because of something someone said to me somewhere along the way in my life, because of what the Bible said. Like, I just have a complicated history. I have a complicated relationship with the Bible. And I get all that. And here's the thing. When you look at this list, well, it could describe your relationship with your ex. I don't know. But, but when you... Um, but when, when, Let's close in prayer, uh, Lord. Uh, Right? But, but when, you, when you look at this list, right, like it's real. And the purpose or the goal of this series isn't like we're going to take every single one of these and walk through these and like get everybody on the same. Like we're not going to do that because anyone or any combination of these things could describe your relationship with the Bible. And the goal isn't to dismiss or discount these things in your experience. The goal, part of my goal in this series, my hope is, my prayer is, that somehow I'm gonna be able to inspire you to begin reading and experiencing the Bible for yourself in spite of all these things. That maybe you've had a relationship or lack of relationship with the Bible up until now, but my hope is that through this series and over the next few weeks, you're gonna be inspired. I wanna inspire you to the point where you will get inside the outside of the Bible, that you'll actually open it up. For those of you that it sits on your shelf, you dust it off and open it up and start getting inside the outside of the Bible because I believe truly with all of my heart that the Bible is actually God's word, that God wants to speak to you we're gonna talk about that, speak to you through it. I believe that there is life for your life in the Bible, that it doesn't matter what your challenges you're facing in life, it doesn't matter the circumstances you find yourself in, doesn't matter the questions you're asking and the, the hope that you're longing for, there is life for your life in the Bible and I believe that your life is in the Bible that you'll be able and get to the place, hopefully you'll be inspired to the point where you can read it and you can begin to see yourself in the scriptures and that God, as crazy as this might sound to you right now, that God might actually speak to you through it. And I wanna inspire you to experience it for yourself. But I don't just wanna inspire you because inspiration isn't enough. And inspiration, if I can be brutally honest, inspiration will only get us, get you, get me, get us so far. Inspiration in and of itself, it actually doesn't even last. And if you're a parent, specifically if you're a parent of a teenager, you know that this is true, right? 
we're just a few weeks, hopefully months away from snow falling, right? And when snow falls, if you're a parent of at least one or multiple teenagers, part of, I'm guessing, part of your approach to snow removal is leveraging your teenagers, right? Like when the snow falls, you sit them down and, and you give them this incredible, like motivational, inspirational speech. You, you channel your, your inner William Wallace or Ted Lasso, depending on your approach to, to, to speeches and motivation. And you sit them down, you're like, hey, listen, um, we're all a part of this family. And as part of this family, every single one of us has responsibility to the family. And we can't all do the same thing, but all of us can do something. And one of the somethings that you're gonna do is I want you to shovel the driveway. Like you just inspire them. You, you motivate them. And they're like, yeah, let's shovel. Like, and you, or I don't know, maybe you're terrible with words. And so you inspire with money and you're like, Hey, I'm going to give you so much money to go out and shovel. However you do it, whatever your approach is, you inspire them, you motivate them. I promise you, if you send them out with a dollar store toddler shovel, the job ain't going to get done. It doesn't matter how articulate you are. It doesn't matter how you, know, you can inspire them in the words that you use. It doesn't even matter how much money you motivate them with. If you don't equip them properly, that inspiration level is gonna drop and it's gonna drop quickly. And the reason it's gonna drop quickly is because you haven't equipped them with the tools that they need to follow through on what you've inspired them to do. And so, yes, I wanna inspire you in this series, but I also want to equip you. I wanna equip you with the ability to read the scriptures and experience the scriptures for yourself because inspiration in and of itself is not enough. And I say that I wanna equip you because maybe your experience, as you would think about the Bible, when I ask you that question, what's your relationship with the Bible? Maybe part of your experience is that you came to a church service, something like this, and someone like me got up and they started talking about the Bible and tried to inspire you to read the Bible. And you're like, yeah, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna read the Bible for myself. I'm really excited about this. And you got home and you got your notepad and your pen and your coffee and the whole thing. And you sat down and you opened the Bible up and you're like, I don't even know where to start. Um, I don't speak Greek. I don't know what is, like, I'm confused. I don't know what this means. I don't know what this is saying. I have no, con like, I've got nothing, nowhere to go, right? And the reason that's true and the reason that happened to you is because it's one thing to be inspired, but I can't, and I don't just want to inspire you. I also want to equip you. And when I say equipping, let me be very clear, okay? I'm not saying that, hey, after the next three weeks, you're gonna walk out and you're gonna be a biblical scholar. Like you're gonna have your PhD in the Bible and you're gonna just be the greatest biblical scholar that there's, like that's not the goal or the point or the purpose of this series, okay? The goal for this series is that every single one of us would be able to begin to experience the Bible for ourselves every day. That's the goal for this series. And there's some of you, I know right now, the question that you're asking is, that's great and all, Scott. Thanks for clear, clearing that up. But why in the world would I wanna do that? Like, why would I even want to experience the Bible for myself? I don't even know if I believe the Bible. I don't even know if I believe in God. How do I know? How can the Bible be trusted? Like, can the Bible actually be trusted? That's the thing that has maybe kept you from staying on the outside of the inside of the Bible. You're just like, I don't even know if I can trust it. I lack trust in the Bible and I get that. So what I wanna talk about for just the next few moments is a little bit about the Bible itself. 
okay? Now, the thing that you need to know, and if you're new to faith, you know, you don't really have any experience with the Bible other than the title, um, you wouldn't buy it or steal it. Like, you don't really know anything. Um, to quickly let you know, there are two, basically, divisions of the Bible. There's two sides of the Bible. Now, it breaks down into further categories, but the Bible, in a sense, in its essence, can be broken up into two parts. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? The Old Testament is everything that happened from the beginning of the world to Jesus, And the New Testament begins with Jesus and is Jesus's life and and goes on in the history of the early church. And there's some other things in there as well. Okay, so that's the distinction. That's the division. And for just the next few moments, I wanna talk specifically about the New Testament. How do we know that we can trust the New Testament? How do we know that these accounts of Jesus's life can actually be trusted? Now, this is where hopefully you're caffeinated enough. Um, I know it's early, but this is the part where we're gonna kind of start to use our brains for a little bit. We're gonna nerd out for just a few moments so hang with me. Um, if you're going to fall asleep for just a minute, ask your neighbor to kind of keep poking you with something to keep you awake because this is really, really important. I want to talk about this. This is incredibly important to understand and hopefully excite you and inspire you to want to experience the Bible for yourself, okay? So you have the New Testament and what you need to know is that the Gospels, in fact, the entire New Testament, the, the history of the early church, the letters that Paul wrote, all these different things, the New Testament was w- written within 50 years, okay? 50 years of Jesus's personal ministry. So the timeline is very, 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 very short. The Old Testament was written over a thousand years. The New Testament was written within 50 years. And the reason it was such a short period of time was because they wanted to get the word out. They were like, we got to take these oral accounts, this history of Jesus's life. We got to spread the word. We got to take the gospel, the message of Jesus. We got to get it out to the world. And so they were trying to, you know, get the word out there as fast as they could. That was the goal. Okay. And so people were, you know, they were in houses, they were writing down copies and they were doing all these things. And you would say, okay, um, but what happened to the originals? right? Like, like the original gospels, um, the original, you know, the original letter that Paul wrote, like, where is that? What happened to it? And the answer is, we don't know. Um, we don't have it um, because it wasn't preserved. Okay. The, 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 uh, Paul didn't write the letter to the Philippians or, or Matthew didn't write his gospel and then put it under glass and say, we are going to preserve it. Okay. The goal of the New Testament authors was distribution, not preservation. The goal was to get the word out. It's like, you got a copy. Like you'd be at somebody's house and they're like, you got a copy, you got a copy. Let me copy that down because we got to get the word out. We need more copies of this in circulation. And so anybody that had a copy, they were copying it and then they were spreading it out. It's constantly just get the word out, get the word out. Distribution, distribution. The goal was not preservation. So those original documents, those original letters, those original gospels, it's likely they just disintegrated over time. Because again, the, the goal of these authors was distribution. It was getting the word out. It was not preservation. Now, the Bible that we have at our disposal today, that is a collection of manuscripts. It was put together from manuscripts, copies of manuscripts that have been found. And the earliest manuscripts that have been found are 100 years later. Okay, so again, use your brain here for a second. The originals were written within 50 years of Jesus's ministry. The earliest manuscripts that have been found were 100 years after that. So 150 years later. And of those manuscripts, get this, there are 25,000 manuscripts. Now, just to give you a little bit of context or or, or framework or reference for this um, compared to other forms of ancient literature, okay? This is significantly more than any other piece of ancient literature, Homer's Iliad, there's 643 manuscripts. The works of Aristotle, there are 49 
manuscripts, 49. Yet we read that and go, well, that's what Aristotle said. No question, no debate, no doubt. When you compare the scriptures to other forms of ancient literature, it's unbelievable. And as it was written and copied and written and copied and written and copied and written and copied, you'd be saying, well, what happened to the message over time? What happened to the message as it was written and copied? And that's a great question because we've all played that game telephone as a kid, right? You remember that? You'd whisper in somebody's ear, hey, the red ball bounced down the street and it goes around and around and around. The next thing you know, it's over here and it's like, big John has smelly feet, right? Like there's something weird like that, right? Like, you know, that happens. You're like, isn't that what happened? to the original message that over time, after all those copies, it just kind of got messed up and watered down and, and changed. And that's a great question. If you're asking some kind of question like that, you're asking a great question. In fact, that's the question that I would ask. So what they've done, again, you got your thinking caps on, what they've done over time is they've taken these 25,000 manuscripts and they've done something that's called contextual criticism contextual criticism. What that means is they've taken these 25,000 manuscripts and they've compared them against each other to find out are there mistakes, are there errors, are there omissions, are there discrepancies, and if they are, where are they, what are they? Let's find out. And listen, there are variants. Nobody's denying that. There are spelling mistakes. There are punctuation errors. One gospel says that Jesus fed 4,000. Another gospel says that Jesus fed 5,000. Was it two separate events or the same event remembered differently? Nobody knows entirely. Nobody knows. And that to me is one of the things that gives the scripture validity because it's not manipulated to be exactly the same because that's how life works, isn't it? I mean, we've all been to a party and walked away with different memories of the same party, haven't we? That's just how life works. And so the amazing thing is you've got these 25,000 manuscripts. And after all this time and after all the scrutiny and contextual criticism that it's gone, gone under and come over, scholars would agree, get this, that 99.8% of the New Testament is textually pure. 99.8% of the New Testament is textually pure. Now there are variants and every time that you read through the New Testament, you'll see a little note. And if you follow through the notes that are under the Bible, it'll say, this manuscript would say this, or this manuscript would say that. There's always a note. And here's the thing though, here's the thing to note about the New Testament, this collection of writings over a series of time of which there are more manuscripts than any other form of ancient literature on planet earth after it has gone under tremendous scrutiny and it is 99.8% textually pure. When you read the New Testament, and you see the authors writing and talking about scripture, when you see Jesus talking about scripture in the New Testament, the thing to note is they are not talking about the New Testament. And the reason they're not talking about the New Testament is because they didn't have the New Testament. They were living it out in real time. So when these authors, when Jesus is talking about the scripture, they're referring to, they're talking about the Old Testament that to them, as the New Testament was being lived out, their scripture, the thing that they clung to and held to, the thing that they're talking about is the Old Testament. And as you read the New Testament, when you look at Jesus's life, what you see so quickly and so very clearly is that Jesus himself valued the Old Testament. That to him, his Bible was the Old Testament and he held it in high regard. He valued it so much. He heard it spoken of. He heard it read over and over and over again when he was a child. 
He had it put to memory. He memorized the Old Testament. Believe it or not, they actually did that. They memorized the Old Testament. He quoted it. He taught about it. He talked about it. You see him time and time again clinging to it and holding on to it in the most difficult circumstances and under the intense temptation. He clung to his scripture. He clung to his Bible. He clung to the Old Testament. So what did Jesus have to say about the Bible? If this Jesus we read about in the New Testament valued the Old Testament so much, what did he have to say? about it. This is an important thing to think about. It's an important thing to discuss as we talk about experiencing the Bible for ourselves. Well, in Matthew chapter five, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four books, the gospels that chronicle the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus is preaching. Jesus is teaching. And this moment is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is an iconic moment in Jesus's life. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. Believe it or not, it wasn't one that I did. It was one that Jesus did. Um, yeah, you were all supposed to say, no, no. So um, Jesus, he preached this incredible sermon, unbelievable. And in this message, he's talking about a whole lot of different things about life and so many different topics. He's covering the whole range of, of, of topics and ideas and issues in people's day. And he's talking about this thing. And in the midst of it, he starts talking about this new thing that he's doing, this kingdom that he's building, this new kingdom that he's establishing. And he's saying things like, in this kingdom, in this new kingdom that I'm creating, the most important people are gonna be the humble. The most important people in this kingdom that I'm building is gonna be the meek and the pure of heart. And the people who are listening, as you can imagine, everybody's listening, it's Jesus. And they're listening to him. And they're like, like, this is unbelievable. Like, wow, Jesus, the persecuted are gonna be the most important people in your kingdom. See, in our world, the most important people persecute people. But you're saying the persecuted are gonna be the most important. This is so different. This is revolutionary. This is radical. Jesus, you're turning everything upside down. Jesus, does this mean we shouldn't read the Bible anymore? Does this mean we shouldn't listen to scripture anymore? And see, this would be a fair question in light of everything that Jesus is saying up until this point. So he answers them. And this is what he says. Take a look. Jesus speaking about the Bible. He said, don't misunderstand. Don't get it twisted why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law. Another translation, people would say a better translation is I didn't come to deconstruct or, or ignore. I didn't come to abolish, deconstruct or ignore the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. That's what they would call their Old Testament, the, the law and the writings of the prophets. He says, no, I have come or I came to accomplish their purpose that I've come to accomplish the purposes of the Old Testament, the scripture as we know it, because that's all we know. I've come to accomplish their purpose. That when you read the scriptures, when you read the Old Testament, when you read our Bible, and it talks about one who is coming, a promised Messiah, when it talks about the, the love of God, it's talking about me, Jesus would say. I've come to accomplish the purpose that we find in our scriptures. So, in light of that, if you ignore, this is a conditional statement, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of God. He's saying basically, if you ignore scripture, if you ignore the Bible, if you ignore what God is saying to us, you are gonna miss out on the opportunity to be a part of this thing that I'm doing. You are gonna miss out on the opportunity to experience the scripture for yourself. You're gonna miss out on the opportunity to experience this new thing 
that I'm doing. But, Jesus says, anyone, which means the Greek for anyone means anyone, anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So if you obey scripture, if you engage with scripture, you are going to experience this thing that I'm doing. You're gonna be able to experience life change. You're gonna be a part of this thing that I'm up to, but don't misunderstand why I have come, Jesus would say. I've come to accomplish the purposes that you see in and through the Old Testament. That's why I have come. That's what he says to them. And then he gives them a warning. Here's what he says. This is the warning. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? Why this warning? Because the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they knew the law. They knew the Bible. In fact, they knew it so well and they valued it so much that they added 600 laws on top of it just to be safe. And they would say, we know the law, we keep the law, we protect the law, that's the goal here. And Jesus would say, no, that is not the goal here. The goal is not to protect the law. The goal is not to keep the law. In fact, the goal isn't even to know the law. The goal is for you to experience a change in your life. The goal is for you to experience a change in your heart. The focus of this scripture, the focus is not the law. The focus is me. That's what Matthew would tell us that Jesus said. Now, John's account adds something else. Here's what he says in John chapter five. Jesus would say, you search the scriptures, the people that he's talking to. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but that's what you think, but the scriptures actually point to me. That the point of the scripture is me. The point of the scripture is that I want to do something on the inside of the outside of you. Jesus valued the scriptures. Jesus valued them so much. These, these documents that are textually pure, these documents that he believes that God is going to speak, they point to him. And Jesus would want you and I to experience something as we read them. So the question then becomes, how do we do that? How do we experience the Bible? How do we engage with the scripture? How do we approach it? That's a great question. And thankfully, the apostle Paul, who wrote two thirds of the New Testament, he actually gives us this idea how we're to experience the Bible. Now, I don't know that he intended to give this to us, but thankfully he did by first giving it to a young man named Timothy, who he was mentoring in the ministry. The apostle Paul was mentoring. He was apprenticing this young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy himself knew a fair bit about the Bible. He had um, two women in his life who had taught him a great deal about it. But even still, Paul writes this letter to Timothy, this young man he's apprenticing. And he says, listen, I want to tell you something about the Bible. I want to tell you something about how to experience the Bible, how to approach the Bible. And here's what Paul says to Timothy in the second letter we have that Paul wrote to Timothy. Here's how it starts. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. All means all. All scripture, just making sure you're with me, all scripture is God-breathed. That, that Timothy, the thing I want you to know, Paul would say, before you approach the scripture, the thing that you need to know about the Bible is that all of it, all scripture is God-breathed. Now, what does that mean? When you, when, you, when you see that term breath or this God breathe, when you see that phrase throughout the scripture, what does it mean? It means that it is divinely inspired. It's divinely inspired. That basically the Bible as a whole is a collection of books. It is not one book. It is a collection of many books 
that is divinely inspired by God and written in partnership with human beings. That is a book, that is something that no other book can claim to be. It is God-breathed. And you're like, yeah, but what does that mean exactly? It's a great question. And the only, or the best way I should say that I can explain that, um, it's rudimentary, but the best way I can explain it is, um, when I was in elementary school, I did something, um, I did something horrible to my mom and to my brother. Um, when I, specifically when I was in grade six, I did something horrible to my mom. Um, I brought home a clarinet. Um, now, a clarinet. So what happened is there was this girl on the playground that I thought was cute. And so I was following her around and I followed her all the way to this opportunity to sign up for band. Okay. Now I go into this room where she was and everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but you know, there were people in there who were signing up to be a part of the school band. And there were instruments that you could sign up to take. There were trumpets and trombones and, 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 and uh, what the other one? the T word, tuba. Uh, sorry, I knew there was three T's. That's how I remember it, three. Uh, so there were tubas and, and then there were flutes um, and there, was a, there were clarinets. And the girl that I thought was cute chose the clarinet. So, you know, figure it out. So I, I come home with this clarinet and, uh, you know, I'm in my room practicing the clarinet, like, you know, and, and like wolves are howling and dogs are barking and my mom is losing her mind and my brother's in the closet rocking back and, you know, like, like it just, it was a horrible thing. And I feel really bad for the teacher who, I don't know, she must've lost a bet to be the one that had to like, you know, lead the, the school band and she's in there and we're all like playing hot cross buns and it's a hot mess. I mean, we're just in there. It's just, there's instruments, you know, there's tubas going over here and like just, it's just a gong show, okay? And I remember the first Chris, or Christmas performance. We had to play Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And uh, yeah, Christmas didn't happen that year. It was, just, it was just, it was awful. But anyways, the idea, and you get where I'm going with this, okay? You have all these different instruments that everybody signed up for, right? The brass section and the, you know, the wood section and there's you know, the tubas and the trombones and, the, and, and all these things happening over here. And there's the flute, you know, all this stuff. Well, it didn't sound like that. All happening over here. All these different instruments that all make different sounds, but all require breath, the same breath. Okay, you have all these different instruments, each with its own voice, yet at the same time, all requiring breath in order to make the sound. And in a similar way, you have all of these different books. You have this ensemble, this orchestra, if you will, of text, all written by different people who, unlike my grade six school band, were incredibly skilled at their craft. You have some that wrote songs, some that wrote psalms, some that wrote prophecy, others who wrote um, historical accounts, some who wrote letters. They were all incredibly skilled at their craft, incredibly, incredibly skilled at what they did, all with a different and unique voice, but all with the same breath, different instruments, different voices, same breath, different instruments, God breathed. That's what Paul is trying to express to Timothy. Timothy, before you even look to the scriptures, don't forget where it came from. Don't forget who it is that is speaking to you through it. He said, all scripture is God's breathed and it's useful, Paul would go on to say, it is useful for teaching, teaching you about God, teaching you uh, what God wants for your life, teaching you about different aspects of your life, teaching you about parenting and finances and relationships and all these different things in your life, teaching you, rebuking you, 
I would say a better translation here is conviction. It's convicting you. It's challenging you about some area in your life and then correcting you, correcting you, setting you on a right course, moving you from one course to another, changing lanes, if you will. And then training in righteousness. And I love this, training in righteousness, the idea of being trained up, this idea of training up a child. And this has very much been my experience with the scripture, that in a very real sense, it's training you up as you get older. Because the way you hear and read the Bible when you're 20 is different than the way you read it when you're 40. And it's different from the way you read it and experience it when you're 60, from when you're 80. That it's training you up as you get older. That the Bible is not meant to be a book that you sit down and read in one sitting. It's a book. It's a collection of books that's meant to be read over the course of a lifetime. And it's training you up the older you get, Paul would say. So that... For the purpose of, Paul would say, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. There's that word, equipped, not just inspired, because inspiration isn't enough. The purpose, the word of God is useful and it's, it, it equips you for every good work, every good work, that anything and everything in your life that is good and worth doing, the Bible is God-breathed to equip you to do and fulfill that good work. The other way I can say it is that the Bible is for you when it comes to God. The Bible is for you when it comes to God. The Bible is for you. If you wanna know what God is like, if you wanna know what God values, if you wanna know what God has to say about parenting and finance and relationships, if you wanna know what God has to say about decision-making and wisdom, if you wanna know what God has to say about life choices, the Bible is for you when it comes to God. And here's the thing, and it's for God when it comes to you that there are things that God wants to say to you, say to me, say to us, that you're not and I'm not, that we're not asking or thinking about ourselves. There are questions that God wants to ask you that you are not asking. And as you get inside the outside of the Bible, in a very real sense, God will speak to you and he'll say, hey, here's the answer to the question you're asking, but here's another question for you to consider. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Like, Scott, I know when you come to the scriptures, I know that this is the question you're asking, but I want you to think about this question. I want you to think about it. I want to speak to you. The Bible is for you when it comes to God, and it's for God when it comes to you. And that's why reading the Bible is an experience because God wants to say something to you. And you would say, that sounds great, Scott, but that is not my experience. Like I've tried, believe me, I've given it an honest try. I've tried to read the Bible for myself and I got nothing. Like I had to read the same three words over again because the minute I start, I just, I can't get anywhere. I don't understand it. It doesn't say anything to me. I can't even read the thing, okay? And I get that, believe me. When I first came to faith, when I first started following Jesus, that was my experience as well. So I wanna give you two things and we're gonna build on this for the next couple of weeks, okay? But here's two things that I wanna share with you very quickly, but we're gonna, again, unpack this more and more over the next couple of weeks, so come back. We're gonna talk about this as it relates to this idea of both inspiring you, hopefully, and equipping you to experience the Bible for yourself. The first thing I wanna talk about is something called technique. And some of you are gonna see that word and you're gonna be like, I'm out already. That sounds way too academic. Like, got no time for that, right? I get that, but that's not, I'm not talking about something academic. I'm talking about having the ability to understand the basics of what you're reading and what it's trying to say in particular. When I talk about technique, I'm talking about being able to understand the context for the content. And this is important. Because if you just go home and do the like, 
God, speak to me. And you throw your Bible up in the air and let it land. And wherever it opens up, you're just like this. And you put your finger down. This is where I'm going to start reading. Like, okay. But you're going to do that. I promise you, you do that. You're going to get confused. You might even get frustrated. And you're going to start jumping to conclusions or maybe not able to come to any at all. You're going to read it and you're like, what? What does this mean? What is this? What does this mean for my life? Like she cut his hair and now he's not strong anymore. Like what is, what is the life application for that? Like that mean I'm supposed to start growing my hair long? Like that ship sailed for me a long time ago. So does that mean like somehow I'm not spiritual or I can't ever be spiritual? Like what is this? See, that's the problem. See, reading the scriptures without a basic understanding of where it's coming from and where it's going, that's not helpful. So in this series, I'm gonna talk to you a lot about technique and how to build technique and how to be able to read the Bible and begin to understand what it's saying and where it's going and where it's trying to take you. We're gonna talk a lot about technique, but we're not gonna stop there because we can't. And the reason we can't is because there are a lot of people who have technique when it comes to reading the Bible who have never experienced God through reading the Bible. I've talked to a lot of people, I've known a lot of people over the years who knew a lot about the Bible academically, I'm sure more than me, but had never experienced God through reading the Bible and had never experienced any change in their life. How could that possibly be? If you can understand the Bible, how could you not experience the Bible? Because it's not all about technique, right? It's also about posture. It's about the posture of your heart. It's about coming to God and saying, God, I believe, as weird as this is, I believe that somehow you can speak to me through this. So I'm willing, I'm open. I wanna hear from you. I want you to speak to me. I I, I want that in my life. And, And the best way that I can put that, the best way I can describe posture and how to help you kind of develop that posture in your life, this is really quickly, we're gonna talk more about this, but the Bible was meant for transformation, not information, Okay, I think many people miss the Bible because they start reading it thinking it's information. It is not just about information. It's about transformation. It's about change in your life. It's a change in your heart. It's about being transformed. Okay, that's the idea. If you come to the Bible with a bunch of, you know, academia and you come with all with technique, you're going to walk away. You'll walk away with a whole bunch more information, historical information, which is great, but in and of itself doesn't mean a whole lot. You can have a whole lot of information and not experience any change in your life, but the Bible was meant for transformation, not information over a lifetime. And so if you wanna read the Bible, if you wanna get reading the Bible you know, again, it begins on your knees, okay? It begins on your knees, not in your head. It begins on your knees and coming to God and saying, God, speak to me. God, I'm open. God, I'm willing. God, I'm here. And God, if, if I don't agree... I'm not going to abolish. And if I don't agree, I'm not going to deconstruct. And if I don't agree, I'm not going to ignore. I'm not going to skip that part. If I don't agree, I'm going to, my posture is, I want to lean in. I want to hear from you because I know that the goal, that your desire for this writing is to do something in me something inside the outside of me that you want to transform my life and I'm open to what you have to say to me. That's where the scripture begins. That's where the experiencing the scripture begins. It begins with the posture of your heart. If you come to the scripture with technique and you don't have that posture, you're going to walk away informed and never transformed. And that is not what God wants for you. It's not what he wants for me. It's the Bible is meant for transformation, not information over 
a lifetime. The goal of the Bible is not to master the Bible. The goal is to let the Bible master you. It's not like, I gotta get through this reading. Like I got the Bible plan and I'm gonna check the box. So I just gotta slog through these verses. I gotta slog through these chapters. I just gotta get through it. No, it's to get it through you, through your heart, through my thick skull. That's how we experience change. And what I'm not saying is that you're gonna start reading the Bible and you're gonna have to light some tea lights and you're gonna turn like, oh, and all of a sudden like God's gonna start, like that's weird and speaking to you. That's not what I'm talking about. That, that there are gonna be times in your life you're gonna read the Bible and you're like, I, I, I got nothing. I don't know what this means. I don't know what this is saying. But time, in time, over time, as you get inside the outside of the Bible, I promise you, the Bible will get inside the outside of you and God will speak. But in order for that to happen, it begins with a posture of your heart and it begins with developing some technique to be able to understand what it is you're reading. Because if you come with this open heart posture and no technique, you're gonna come up with some really weird ideas and start thinking some really weird things and doing some really weird things. And we've all met those people, right? <laughs> right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you actually getting to the place in your journey and experiencing the Bible where you can read it and begin to understand it, but also have a posture to allow it to speak to you. And that's when you begin to experience. The Bible is for you when it comes to God and it's for God when it comes to you. And listen, that's what I want for you. I want you to begin to be able to experience God through experiencing the Bible. And I want you to be able to do that for yourself. So while I'll be excited to see you come week after week on a Sunday morning and sit here and listen to me monologue for a while, my hope is that you're like, yeah, that's good and all, hopefully. But that's not what I need. These moments with me and God's word and this posture in my heart and a little bit of skill and technique, God is speaking to me and that's what I want for you. And so, because that's what I want for you, here's what I want you to do. It's not a huge commitment, um, but I'm going to ask you to try to make a commitment for the next seven days. Okay, not seven weeks, not seven months, not seven years. I'm just going to ask you to do something for the next seven days. And if you miss a day, just don't tell anybody. Okay, if you miss a day, just make sure you don't miss two days. Okay, but for the next seven days, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to pray and I want you to get a Bible, whether you get the app on your phone, right? Um, which we have, you know, there's a picture on the screens that we show through the service or after the service, you can find the link to be able to download that. It's a great app to have on your phone or your iPad, have that. Um, or get an actual physical copy of the Bible. And if you need help with that, we can talk about that. And if you're a parent down in the kid's wing at the check-in desk, we actually have a whole bunch of options, Bible options for kids, Okay, so we're trying to help you out. You can see there's some great options there and you can find those on Amazon. And no, we don't get any kickbacks, but we just want you to have a great opportunity and have access to finding a great Bible to read with your kids. We're doing it with Parker every night. He's loving it. But I want you to have a Bible. And when you get your Bible, before you do anything with it, I want you to pray this prayer. And here's what I want you to pray. You can take a screenshot of this. We'll leave it up for a little while or whatever. But I want you, and again, it's not about the words, it's not about the words. It's about the posture. It's about the attitude of your heart. Pray something like this. Make it your own. But pray, God, change the posture of my heart towards your words in my life. Got it? Got it? 
God, change the posture. God, would you change the posture of my heart towards your words in my life? And then pray. And this might seem a little mystical and weird to you, but the Holy Spirit of God is this this presence. It's God breathed. It's the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to me. And again, I'm not saying like all of a sudden the roof of your house is going to be lift off and God's going to, hello, Bill. It's so great to be with you. Like that's not how it works. It's this, sometimes you're like, is that my voice? Is that God's voice? Like whose voice? It's this, it's, it's convicting you. It's teaching you. It's, it's, it's this speaking. It's this, that's the Holy Spirit of God. So come Holy Spirit and speak to me. I want you to pray that prayer in your own way, in your own words. It can take three seconds. It can take three minutes. I don't know. How long does it take for your heart to mean this? I, I don't know. But however long that takes for you, pray that prayer and then read Psalm 119, 105 through 112. Just read the same thing every day for the next seven days. This passage is about God's word. It's about the Bible. And I just want you to read this day after day after day with the attitude, with the posture of your heart saying, God, I'm open. And if this can be kind of the foundation that we build upon for the next few weeks, I believe that you're gonna begin to experience the Bible for yourself. And so I hope that for you. That's been my prayer for you. And I'll be praying for you over the next seven days that you'll begin to do this. And there are some of you that are like, why in the world would I do that? I don't even know if I believe in God. Why not give it a shot? What have you got to lose? I'm willing to bet there's a shot that God might actually do something, that God might actually speak, that you might, as you kind of get to the place where you try to have this heart, that God, you might be surprised what God might say to you because I believe a life of experiencing the Bible for yourself is a life of transformation that you cannot experience anywhere else or from anything else. So, I don't want to say homework, but give it a shot for the next seven days and come back next week. And for those of you online, if you're in the Ottawa Valley, we would love for you to come and grab a seat here with us next week. Or if you're outside of the Ottawa Valley, stay wherever you are. But either way, take a screenshot of this, begin to pray this, and I'm going to do the same. And I'm hoping that maybe, just maybe, we'll all get to a place on the other side of this series. We'll all get into the outside, inside the outside of the scriptures. And that God through his Holy Spirit might speak to you in such a way that he gets to the inside of the outside of you. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to gather today, uh, to be able to talk about something I'm so passionate about, your word. Um, I believe, God, that you want to use the scriptures to make a difference in our lives, that it is not something that we're supposed to read and just slog through, but it's actually something we're meant to experience and engage with and encounter because through it, because it is so inspired by you that it can speak to us in our lives and at different stages in our lives and different seasons of our lives. And that, God, we could be transformed as we go through and experience the scriptures. So God, I pray for every single person in this room, young and old. I pray for every single person at home who each has their own experience with the scriptures. Maybe some who think it's full of mistakes that they don't even know what that means because they heard it in a school somewhere. Or maybe they tried and didn't get anywhere. Or maybe they think they know what it says because they've heard all the fairy tale like stories before. 
God, your word is so much more than that. And I pray that we would begin to experience it anew and afresh, maybe for the first time in our lives, but at the end of the journey, we might be experiencing some transformation in our lives. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Would you bless this time as we look at your word in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love, God bless.